please turn with me to your bulletin insert. I know you have a lot of bulletin inserts today, but the one with our passage of Scripture printed upon it, we want to use that as a unison reading. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 7. Colossians 2, we'll begin to read together at verse 1. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then... Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You know, you probably never think about something like this, though I know Bob can relate to it. And that is that when it comes time to preach in a special season of the year like Thanksgiving, it's not always the easiest thing to find a passage from which to preach. Now, it's not because the word thanks or thanksgiving is rare in Scripture. In fact, it's in there over 250 times. So you would think we could find something on which to preach for the Sunday before Thanksgiving. But the problem comes when those words, thanks or thanksgiving, or that concept is uh, not in what we preachers would call a good preaching passage. For example, like Luke 17. You know, the story of the ten lepers. You remember that story where Jesus heals ten lepers and only one returns to thank Him and He happens to be a Samaritan and He falls at Jesus' feet and gives Him praise and thanksgiving and that's when Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Now that's a great preaching passage. So when I ran across this passage in Colossians 2, thinking of thanksgiving, and saw that wonderful phrase there at the end of verse 7, overflowing with thankfulness, I thought, I've found it. This is going to be a great preaching passage for thanksgiving. Paul mentions, in fact, being thankful in this letter. It's kind of an unusual letter of his in the sense that he highlights this theme of thanksgiving, mentions it seven times in just four chapters. To give you a perspective, the whole book of Romans is 16 chapters, 
and only has thanks in it seven times. So it's a very important theme within the flow of this particular letter. And I chose these first seven verses as our passage today primarily because of that last phrase, overflowing with thankfulness. This attitude of of thankfulness should be such an important part in the Christian life that it simply overflows. It just bubbles over day in and day out. As Paul puts it over in the third chapter of Colossians, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whatever we do in life, we do it and give thanks at the same time. This is such a lifeline of the Christian life. And as I begin to think about that wonderful word picture there, overflowing with thanks, thankfulness, I thought, you know, the commentaries are really going to have a field day with this. They're going to give me so much information, I won't be able to get around to all of it. That was just wishful thinking on my part. You can look at practically any commentary on Paul's letter to the Colossians. I have at least five in my own library, some of them newer and some of them older, and they all pretty much do the same thing. They take verses 6 and 7, and they carefully go through those three participles we see there about being rooted in Christ, being built up in Christ, being strengthened in the faith, and they write volumes about all of that. And then when they get to that phrase, overflowing with thankfulness, they put one little paragraph at the end of all of those pages. And about the time I was getting perturbed about that in my study, it dawned on me. We do the same thing. We do the same thing in life. We go through the whole year, an entire year of blessings and gifts and everyday life events that we normally take for granted. Life events like spending time with family. Probably most of us will have an opportunity to do that sometime this week. We normally take those special times for granted or a life event like a beautiful sunset that we enjoyed or just bumping into an old friend at the local store. We go through all of that and then we tack Thanksgiving on to the end of it. Here it comes right at the end of the November with only one month left in the year and we finally stop to say thanks. And of course we can say, well, it's not our fault that we have Thanksgiving near the end of the year. We can blame the pilgrims for that. They're the ones that wanted to wait until after the harvest to give thanks to God, or we can blame George Washington. He's the one who set the first national Thanksgiving Day on November 26th in 1789. If you want to blame somebody, blame those folks. But of course that's not really my point, is it? Rather, I'm talking about the mentality that many of us have to always tack thanksgiving on to the end of things. It's not part of the process. It's something we sort of do once the show is over. Haven't you ever had someone say to you, and oh, by the way, thanks. You know, it's right there at the end. It's like it's an afterthought. 
And of course, it's good to say thanks. But my point is, we're always giving thanks after the fact. Someone gives us a gift, and what do we do? We write a thank you note like our mothers taught us to do. And that's a good thing. But in other words, we're always looking back on what has happened and giving thanks for the good in this history of ours, whether it's a week old or two weeks or five years. This is not what Paul is talking about here in Colossians 2. He's impressing upon the Colossians and us another type of mentality when he ends this sentence here with the words overflowing with thankfulness. That word translated as overflowing was used frequently in Paul's world to refer to having more than the usual amount of something. People overflowed with wealth. They abounded or overflowed with grace or understanding. They were so rich in something that it simply bubbled over. We all know people whose personality is like that. They have so much charisma, it just bubbles over. And when they enter a room, they just take it over. This is what the attitude of thanks is supposed to be for you and me as followers of Christ. We are to overflow in thanks. There should be more than the usual amount of thanks in your life and in mine. And it should be present not just at certain times of the year, but the entire year, every single day for what has happened in our lives, for what is continuing to happen and for what will happen in the future. In effect, Paul is saying don't fail to express gratitude for the new outlook and the new life which you have in Jesus Christ. And this brings me back to why I think this phrase, overflowing in thankfulness, is one of the most important in the passage. Because we have to have that gratitude, that realization of what God has done for us through Christ and His work on the cross before we can do these other things that Paul is talking about in this passage. As Christians, in order for you and me to live in Christ, to be rooted like a strong tree, to be built up in Him, built as on a firm foundation and established in the faith, then we have to be genuinely, genuinely thankful for that wonderful gift of forgiveness of sins, new life that Jesus Christ gives to you and me. Because if we're not truly grateful, then we'll have no desire to follow the example of Christ, no desire to spread the good news of His love, and no desire to grow in the faith because we'll have no motivation for doing so. Now notice in our text that these Colossians, they have the motivation. They know what God has done for them. Through Jesus. In fact, the first time we see the word thanks in this letter is over in the first chapter where Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And why does he tell them to give thanks for the Father there? 
He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I know you don't have that passage in front of you there in Colossians 1, but did you hear that good news? God has given you and me, Gentiles that we are, sinners that we are, an inheritance. How many people here today would like a lawyer to call you up tomorrow and say, you've been included in somebody's will? I don't know of anybody who doesn't like to inherit something. That usually gets us excited. This is what Paul's talking about here. We've been given an inheritance, something we didn't know we would have, something we really didn't deserve. It's an inheritance. John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Or as Peter reminds us in his first letter, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. And that verse makes the same point that Paul is making in Colossians 1. God has delivered us from darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His own Son. And this notion of being transferred goes back uh, to the ancient times when armies would defeat an entire nation and move them lock, stock, and barrel to another kingdom so that they could control them that way. That's what happened to the kingdom of Judah when they were exiled into Babylon. The Babylonian army came in and, and destroyed the army of Judah. And they moved practically everyone to Babylon. That's what Psalm 137 is all about. When it's talking there, the psalmist is saying, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Jerusalem, when we remembered our homeland. This business of being transferred to a new kingdom happened to Judah because they lost in battle. The difference is that this transfer that Paul is talking about is due to victory through the deliverance that Jesus gives, the redemption He pays for the sin in your life and in mine. Paul says when we remember those sorts of things, we can't help but be thankful. And we must not fail to see that He in essence commands thankfulness here in chapter 1 just as he does in our text. In our passage, notice how he says they were taught these things. All of this good news that they've been taught means that God's action in their lives should evoke this thankfulness. That it it just naturally bubbles over. And even though earlier I used the illustration of a bubbly personality to talk about this thankfulness, I don't want you to misunderstand what I said there. 
I did not intend to say that thanksgiving is a happy feeling that causes you and me to bubble with thankfulness. Since Paul commands it in this letter, that means it has to be more than a feeling over which we have no control. It is, in fact, something we can decide to do. Be thankful. You see what that means? That means it's a discipline of the Christian life in which you and I can grow. And this is where we really need to pay attention to what Paul is saying here. And I say that because we have to think about the description Paul gives. He's telling us to overflow with thankfulness. And I just wonder, does that describe your life and does it describe mine? Or are we chronic complainers? People who are never satisfied. I mean, is the food at the restaurant never cooked right? The work that your spouse did for you never good enough? Though that doesn't come from my own personal experience. (laughs) Would the words you have spoken this day, would they convict you of thankfulness or discontentedness? Are you gracious in your speech or never satisfied? Paul says in Philippians 4, it's interesting, isn't it? I've learned in all circumstances to be content. Notice that he said, I've learned. You see, it's a discipline of the Christian life to learn to be content, and part of learning to be content is learning to give thanks in all circumstances, as Scripture teaches us. Christian people like the Colossians who really understand what God has done for them and that from which He's Save them. They experience God's grace intensely and allow their gratitude for what God has done in their lives through Jesus Christ to mold them and make their lives day in and day out. How they act, what they say, the priorities they have. Henry Nguyen once wrote, Gratitude in its deepest sense means to live life as a gift to be received gratefully. And then he goes on to say, but gratitude, as the gospel speaks about it, embraces all of life, the good and the bad, the joyful and the painful, the holy and the not so holy. You see, when you have this inheritance that is ours, Scripture tells us, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you and me as Peter puts it in his first letter. And when you have the gift of redemption, the fact that Jesus Christ paid it all, He paid the the supreme cost for your sins and mine, all of them, then you are thankful. As Paul put it to the church at Philippi, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, make your requests, make make them known to God. 
and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? So many do. And so many have. Helen Keller, who as most of you know was both blind and deaf, wrote these words in her autobiography. She said, For three things I thank God every day of my life. Thanks that He vouchsafed me knowledge of His works. Deep thanks that He has set in my darkness the lamp of faith. And deep, deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward to, a life joyous with light, flowers, and heavenly song. Those words sound like somebody who's overflowing with thankfulness, especially when we consider what she had to go through in her own life and living it each and every day. May God bless us to that same end, overflowing with thankfulness so that whatever we do, in word or in deed, we do everything, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father,